first pod of 2023. We're back after some slight technical difficulties. Trey, Clara, happy to happy to be back. How's everyone doing? Fun pod today. Fun pod today. Yeah, I think those technical difficulties uh, are a metaphor for the beginning of this year so far. Wow. Wow. Go on. Coming coming in hot. <laughs> Basically, everyone I know personally is going through it right now. Um, yeah. I won't elaborate, but. No kidding. Clara, Rocky start. I mean, I would say yes. I think it was just, and I mean, we'll get into this, I'm sure later on as we chat through the 2023 Predictionary. Um, but I think the last year ended on just a lot of uncertainty and a lot of new things. Like I'm sure we'll get into the AI and things like that, but I think it's in some ways exciting that there's a lot still to be written, I guess, about this year. Um, but you know, the first step is the scariest and I feel like we're all kind of taking the first step right now, but that's my not so very eloquent analogy. Maybe. Yeah. My big prediction is anything that is likely to happen this year will take at least 15 votes to get to a <laughs> result that we all agree on. <laughs> Make of that what you will. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. It's just a small minority holding an entire constituency <laughs> hostage. And that's what we call the U.S. government. But I think, you know, the analogy is apt and maybe we'll get into this with fatigue or some of the other words, but it feels like there's not a lot of consensus about what's going on with a lot of these new phenomena, like is all of this influx of MCU, is this the end of cinema as we know it, or is it kind of this new chapter, are people too cynical and nihilistic, it feels like we're kind of in this everyone has a take and no one agrees which is you know makes for interesting conversation but it makes it hard to agree on things if you don't have 15 votes you know right. anyway absolutely well bad just to, tie in <laughs> just to backtrack a second if you're listening to this pod you have hopefully clicked through our 2023 predictionary um and for those who don't know the predictionary and this is Round three. We're going on year three of our predictionary. It is part dictionary, part prediction. It is a series of words that we feel like will define the year ahead. And we've plotted out how and why they're worthy of your attention. So, you know, I don't think we're going to read the whole thing verbatim today, but I think we're going to have a substantive and fun, hopefully, discussion around some of our favorites. Um and, you know, it's hard to distill a year or even predict a year. I don't even know that we should be in the business of it, doing predictions anymore because it's kind of futile. But um, lots of exciting things coming up. Lots of scary things coming up. Lots of uncertainty, as always. Um, I think 2022 as a whole kind of was maybe not the end of a lot of the ways of doing things, but I was listening to really interesting podcast the other day from Derek Thompson, hopefully future friend of the pod about how everyone kind of thought that 2022 was going to be this like pandemic boom. Like there's a lot of consensus around how disasters or um, I don't know, major global events are kind of inflection points and can spark 
widespread innovation. And his thing was like that 2022 was really the mark of like a round trip back to reality that like the kind of a lot of the ways of doing things had kind of halted. Um, and I don't want to go off too much of a tangent here, but I think um, this year will provide somewhat potentially of a blank slate or maybe um, just kind of like bringing us down from pandemic highs. But without further ado, I think we can get into some of our favorite words. Um, I think one area of big focus this year and certainly towards the tail end of last year was AI. We have a word AI anxiety or anxiety. Um, the gist is the unease about the overarching ramifications of AI on human creativity and ingenuity and the sense of foreboding as to whether or not what you're seeing is being created by man or machine. So I guess first question to either of you, like, have you guys messed around on chat GPT or Dolly or anything? Do you have any takes? Yeah, I think that the outputs have been extremely impressive from what I have, you know, used it for, which is just kind of experimenting to help write like a quippy line or come up with a fun title for an article um, based on the content that I've input. Um, you know, I've had friends have it write like poems musing on life, death and memory. So I think that like it's really interesting to see how intelligent and responsive it is based on your query that you put in. Um, and I think that is a very hopeful thing to think about. Like already we're seeing a kind of backlash against chat GPT specifically uh, and how it will shape the future of specifically like academia and stuff like that. But I think it, I see it as a calculator, basically mm -hmm. like, yes, teachers are still going to be like, okay, put your calculators away for this hard math problem that you have to like think critically for yourself to do. But for those of us who are <laughs> graduates of school, <laughs> um, I think it will just be an interesting tool that we can use to kind of even get us uh, thinking more creatively and designing more creatively. Yeah. I mean, I, to the point about chat GPT, um, I was actually, I was listening, I'm a big WNYC listener, and I was listening, they had a segment about how schools are starting to bar access on school computers, but they were bringing it up in the context of like, I mean, you know, to your point, Trey, it's kind of like a calculator, they want kids to learn, but also talking about how access to this new tool is really important, thinking especially about kids who maybe internet access is something they only have at school. And are they kind of being kept from this tool that will help to shape a lot of the future? So I think what's interesting with AI at this stage is its utility. Like we're kind of exploring all of the options right now, but it hasn't really landed, you know, like, are we using this to write our emails? Are we using this to sort of muse and like get our ideas on the table? Um, and so I think, yeah, I'm just sort of curious to see, you know, of all of these potential applications, which ones kind of start to emerge. But for now, I like just giving it prompts and saying what it can do. I mean, I've been really impressed by it, but I don't do know, Eli, think, what's your take? Do you think it starts? I haven't tested out emails, only like weird Dr. Seuss poems and <laughs> campaign speeches. Do you think it starts uh, emails with like, I hope this finds you well? Like, is that so ingrained in the like 
awful corporate corporate culture that it like understands that yeah I think I think the priorities are like sound human number one Mm -hmm. so it just mimics our like niceties and pleasantries and then the second part probably is like come up with an accurate response to your query it kind of it's kind of like wikipedia though like it's not back (laughs) it's not super nuanced and there's not a lot of like metaphors or analogies unless you really kind of like coach it yeah i think what's interesting too is thinking about all of the inputs you know what i mean if like for chat gpt i know this started to get talked about a little bit with the imagery maybe more so but that you know the ai is trolling the internet and pulling in writing samples from all of these other places and you don't really know what it's referencing i think if you know if you are sort of involved in the back end stuff you probably do but just like as the average user i think it's kind of interesting and weird to your point eli like how does the email know hope this finds you well and this is again a tangent but i was reading that the enron emails after the company sort of took a tumble to say the very least were used in a lot of like very early AI and text predicting technology. Um, and there were all of these sort of like ethical things brought up about that. Um, just about using people's private emails to coworkers and things like that to teach a robot. Mm-hmm. Um, Criminals. So yeah. I think it will be interesting to <laughs> see just like how much that becomes a part of the conversation moving forward. Like, do you have to consent to have your public writing used to inform AI? Um, I'm waiting for the conversation on AI rights um and AI, i the think, rights of ai yeah like or, i yeah. actually think that's going to be like a genuine <laughs> i'm waiting for those headlines about like proper treatment of machine well did either of you watch that movie into the matrix it's no. basically it's about simulation theory of like existence but one of the things they talk about is sort of how ai is structured it's like these two sort of competing or a lot of the time it's these two competing engines and what they produce is the you know is the result of their competition um and collaboration and i think it's kind of interesting to think about like with siri or with alexa you know we have these robots that we're kind of used to and i'm curious down the line if it's like you have Siri and Alexa or like I have Trey and Eli and I'm like, well, I want Trey and Eli to figure out this problem for me. And you're like licensing a mind, like an AI mind and being like, I want them to go in the computer and figure this out. So maybe that's a little bit abstract, but to your point about AI rights, just like how do we end up treating these things? Like, do we treat them like Siri or are we treating them like Wikipedia as like a utility? Like how much they get humanized, I guess, down the line. Well, I think that brings us back to the word, which is AI anxiety. And do you think that is leading these institutions like the New York City Department of Education or the, I think it's called ICML, the largest organization that's, or like the top machine learning conference that banned the use of chat GPT? Do you think that is that AI anxiety is leading those decisions or are we just conservative and afraid of future innovation and what that might mean for us? I think those are both kind of the, those are both kind of the same thing, but yeah, I mean, I do, I think there's a big, like, and we chat about this, like the question that's always been top of mind since 
you know, the industrial revolution is like how a machine will kind of like sub supplant man or woman um, in the workforce. And I think that's kind of like fully coming back into full swing. I think the big thing now um, or like part of the discourse is about kind of like and Dirt has written about this too, like the inherent mediocrity of some of like ChatGPT's responses, which I can only assume will get better with time, to be honest, like once they have more funding and can get the inputs to be better. Um, but that's like one, I suppose, bright spot in it is that kind of what you said, it's like a calculator can't necessarily do everything for you. It's like a compliment to, um, I don't know, your skill or academia something like that. Um, but I do think there is this kind of like overarching anxiety about the role of human creativity and human ingenuity um, across, you know, art, economics, education, et cetera. Um, but No Opinion, which is a, a kind of culture economics newsletter, um, said that excuse me, that ChatGPT or kind of these generative text um, platforms were more like autocomplete for everything. So it's kind of like an iterative process where you can kind of put in inputs and then it might help you along the way rather than, you know, writing an entire essay for you. It's kind of a personal AI assistant, which was actually a word we had in the first predictionary, but didn't really foresee generative AI. Um, well, yeah, I but think yeah. the value, though, of curators and curation has risen immensely in the past decade, where, you know, media's role has less become about news and more become about like where to focus your attention. Same with social media apps and stuff like that. So I kind of see AI as the next generate, like the next thing in that sort of trajectory, where it's not necessarily going to like supplant human work or you know, do our stuff for us, but I think it's going to help sharpen those creative skills and kind of lead us towards new ideas and ways of thinking that, you know, we can't come up with ourselves as humans, which, yeah. but as ever, you know, these tools are created by humans and for anyone that has seen Ex Machina, we all know how that ends. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we'll see Melania Trump will use ChatGPT to write her like 2024 <laughs> uh, RNC speech. All right. Lots to talk about with AI. We could spend a whole other hour doing it. I want to move on to another territory that we discuss, which is around trends and trend reporting. Um, this word trendflation really talks about kind of the exponential rise of trend analysis and kind of mass manufactured trends met with decreased cultural value and impact. Slightly ironic that this is included in our own trend report, but I do feel like it was like a big part of the discourse last year, probably continuing into this year, but in a slightly different format. I want to get both of your takes as two people who I think are very on the pulse of culture and trends. And I know that kind of like the cores, the aesthetics, the vibe shift discussion was huge last year. So I don't know what what's your guys take on this? Where do you think it's going to evolve into the year? I have a I have a pretty big take on this because first of all, I was listening to NPR this morning, huge WNYC fan as well. There we go. <laughs> uh, and, you know, they were talking about like 
clutter core as a backlash to the minimalist aesthetic that has reigned supreme, you know, since uh, Marie Kondo, you know, stuff like that. And basically, in my opinion, when something like clutter core appears on NPR, you know, it's the death of that trend. Um, <laughs> so I think it's interesting that these cores, um, you know, bloke core or, you know, night lux or all of these kind of buzzwords that didn't even have the chance to fully surface before they were submerged once again by, you know, people decrying that they weren't real, which I agree with. But one thing that I've been thinking about a lot, specifically since I used to work at youth culture publications like Dazed and Interview, where the entire, you know, MO essentially was like, we need to be on the bleeding edge of youth culture, report on trends that are going to come up and be next in line or whatever. And I think that when I was there specifically, it was a time when identity politics was just kind of in its infancy. And mm -hmm. we saw that like, you know, the sort of rage bait clicks coming from people who are angry about, you know, girls growing out their armpit hair, whatever the case may be, was like basically gold. So you kind of produce a lot of that same content you know, based on what people are reading, where the attention is coming from. So in the same way, because we don't have like a single unifying monoculture in the same way we do, people are not rallying around the same things. Um, a lot of the media has to find new ways to capture our attention. That again, funnels down and trickles down into money for that company. So as an example, like, I don't know, night lux or whatever kind of trend that we're writing about is just designed to get people's attention and get them angry and get them clicking uh, insofar as that trend like has a life cycle. Once the kind of rage bait finishes, a new trend emerges. Um, so I do kind of think that we've like commoditized human behavior uh, in place of, you know, what used to be the news, which was just like whatever doom and gloom thing was happening or whatever new TV series was on. This has kind of been like, I don't know, a boon in a sense for media publications. But I think that's kind of a cynical take, but I'm curious what you guys think. Claire, yeah, I mean, a girl. <laughs> <laughs> which one shall I choose today? Shall I be yeah. a warm girl or should I be blowcat? I actually, yeah, a blowcat. I recently found out because you don't see as many for boys, but I found out about Sunny Boys the other day, and it's basically, as far as I can tell, it's just like boys who wear hoodies and are nice, and <laughs> it's like become like a whole TikTok identity. It's like. She doesn't know that I'm low-key a sunny boy. I was like, what is going on? But Jeez. I feel like that's the other part of it because I definitely hear you, Trey, on sort of the trends being this consumerist output that like you are shopping Barbie core, you're shopping Nightlux. All of these things have like a product that's attached to them or like a set of products or a distinct look. But I think that there's also... And there's a really interesting article in The Atlantic about this, about like the narrative of yourself that you tell on social media and that social media has, and people talk about it, like the self as a brand, but also like thinking of yourself as this story, like main character energy, or I'm the side character or whatever it is. And so I think it's also interesting thinking about how 
young kids are doing a lot of like identity formation against this stuff and they're sort of ever-changing and I think we talked about this I think on an earlier pod on trends maybe the one with Terry but just like the cost of that that like you know in summer you're a coconut girl then in fall you're a worm girl and not only are you buying all this stuff off Shein but you're also kind of doing this whiplash about sort of who you are as a person and Mm -hmm. I think like obviously, you know, in growing up, we all kind of experiment with identity. And I think that Blackbird Spy Plane had a really good piece about that, that a lot of, you know, finding your style or finding who you are is about mimicry, you know, like mimicking people you admire. But I think that there's not people that are attached to these things. You know, it's not like you're part of this, you know, you want to get in with the skaters or you want to like, hang out with the girls that like eat hot Cheetos on the corner. You know, it's not even that it's more of like, I want to be Barbie core. Like I saw in 25 TikToks. And I think that there's something kind of disturbing about that. Um, But that's my also maybe cynical take on trendflations. Yeah. I mean, well, and we talk about this, but I think surely there's a difference between cynicism and skepticism around Mm -hmm. what something is and what its inherent value is. And in my mind, what's interesting about this word is that there's kind of like two, two ways in, if you will. Um, I don't know if I will. (laughs) I don't know if you will actually. (laughs) Um, But one is, one is about like the cores and the aesthetics and the kind of like rat race of trend reporting that happens on largely these kind of youth culture magazines or like you know the the like gen z or smoky again type headlines stuff like that the other is i think kind of this reality check that i think happened last year and will continue to happen here around kind of like sweeping macro trends and shifts that happened because of the pandemic and i think there were kind of large sweeping predictions that and there was a lot of money put behind them about the future of shopping the future of entertainment the future of media as a whole and you know this came to came to life through the metaverse this came to life through e-commerce um in particular and i think what a lot of us have realized this year is like we kind of fail to under or we fail to appreciate like cycles as a whole and perhaps it's that we are just in the midst of like a kind of like the trough of the adoption cycle of new technologies but i think we just need to be like careful when declaring things as like fact and this will be the future um and then kind of missing the short-term changes that happen yeah I don't think, I think that it's a race to define or be the first to define what the next trend is. So I don't think anyone is going to start being careful in terms of declaration for whatever it is coming up, worm girl or whatever you choose. Um, But yeah, I do kind of see the trend cycle as being the next evolution in identity politics. Like before there was sort of this race to choose how you define um, almost as like a big part of culture or a large part of culture was how you define basically. And this is kind of the next evolution of that where it's like, we are finding even more increasing ways to define yourselves. Yeah. 
and kind of attach that to capitalism. So I think like the way that we define ourselves has always sort of been attached to like the products that we buy, how we present ourselves, you know, with the clothes we wear, with the music we listen to, et cetera. And so the fact that this is like accelerated that where your identity is now even more attached to what you consume and who you are, we are essentially like walking advertisements for brands under the guise of choosing whatever cool new trendy identity that the media is reporting on or, you know, someone is predicting. And I think it also maybe sort of folding into that. I think there was some writing that came out this year. Eli, maybe you can help me out on the like signs you're living without a subculture mm. article. Um, yeah, Joya, I think. There we go. Yes. Um, but I think that it's interesting thinking about trendflation in sort of in line with the feeling that subculture is lacking because to your point earlier, Trey, about working in youth media and sort of culture media, I feel like when I was sort of working in that space, a lot of it was around finding subculture. And I remember we were having those conversations even then of like, what is subculture now? You know, where does it live? Who is doing it? Who is like, who are the next generation of like the Andy Warhols and the downtown kids? And I think that a lot of what's happening now is kind of trying to figure out where that terrain is and surely that's separate from the trendflation that we're all sort of seeing and talking about. And I don't quite think that subculture is totally gone, but I do think that it's become really hard to parse it from these things that are more ephemeral and consumeristic. Um, mm -hmm. So all this to say, I'm happy I don't have to write articles about that anymore. <laughs> I bet it's hard. So. <laughs> Right. Like, where would you, where do you think you see it happening? Or where are these spaces that subculture is existing? I mean, to be honest, I think like New York, and this is maybe getting a little hyper local, but I think like New York has almost become a very hard place to spot it because I saw like a tweet the other day that New York is today what LA was in the YouTube boom in the 2010s. And I just kind of thought that was like an interesting, like, it feels like the cultural reporting in a way about who's young and doing cool things is in a lot of ways inseparable from these other conversations. Like maybe we have to cut this, but like talking about like, is ketamine, like ketamine chic, the new heroin chic in the downtown scene and like talking about like gonzo Instagram posting and like wet brain podcasts, like I don't necessarily think of that as being like wholly subcultural because these are all people who have clout in culture. But I think, I don't know, like I think surely it must exist. It's more of an optimistic <laughs> opinion than it is sort of mm -hmm. backed up by anything that I see. But I don't know, Trey, where do you feel like you see subculture well, places? I was going to add to your point by kind of saying that, like, I think because nothing fully bubbles up to become this huge moment in culture where, like, someone like a Chloe Sevigny was labeled an it girl and then she became, like, a quasi-household name. Mm -hmm. So it, like, came to fruition. All of these wet brain podcast folks or whatever, like, Dime Square adjacent people have been that for several years now. Like, Caitlin Phillips is no no more famous than she kind of was in 20 
16. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that like, that is what continually makes it hard to predict where these subcultures are because they stay fairly quiet and like insular. I don't know. Julia Fox maybe being... Julia Fox, maybe? yeah, maybe the she People's broke Princess? out of her, <laughs> <laughs> broke out of her like self-made shackles and <laughs> yeah. crossed over. But I know, I actually do. You know, I will say Julia Fox is welcome to the pod anytime. I will. But maybe we could just say like, <laughs> is Julia Fox just a great marketer? I mean, we could do a podcast there. I think she know that's she knows the brand. Right, she knows the brand, but. I don't know, Eli, hot takes on subculture? A um, lot of hot takes. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with both of you, and I'm probably going to butcher butcher this regardless, but I think it's almost become, New York in particular, has become too far too saturated, which I think inhibits kind of what you're saying, Trey, of like people becoming canonized in a way if that makes any sense like we always talk about nothing breaking through but like that is true I think these people or uh, movements a lot of the time kind of remain uh I don't know quiet they they don't kind of break through in a way that really necessarily moves a lot of things forward mm-hmm. I don't know I think it's a, a whole other discussion we could have well, this is why I find it so funny, kind of having done this myself as, you know, a part of these publications working out of Britain. But when a British publication singles out a New York person as being the next thing, and I haven't even like heard of them having lived here. And I'm <laughs> like, oh, you're saying Frost children are going to like take over the world with their, you know, evolutionary hyper pop music. And I've never even heard of them until now. Then like, something is amiss here and we're all just grasping at straws trying to like find the next yeah i mean i think the important distinction is like subcultures exist and they exist in droves on tiktok particularly where there is like a corner for every type of niche and interest possible but what makes them feel kind of like anemic in a way is that either they become they become mainstream and then you forget about them within like a week or they just again kind of like stay within that corner as a whole and I feel like without things becoming canonized and memorable then we kind of feel like we're in this stasis or like persistent malaise right that's what I mean there's like yeah. a, there's a glass ceiling if you will for how big <laughs> there you go <laughs> a big we're waiting for the vanilla girl to break it <laughs> um, oh my gosh <laughs> I want to move on to um, our addendums or one addendum word. And for context, with every prediction, or rather the last two, because this is only the third, we carry over some words that we have um, coined previously uh, and discuss why they're still relevant this year and how they're going to evolve moving forward. And one I want to stick on is analog off, which is And I think this is, you know, kind of an evergreen word that has been percolating to the surface probably since mid-2021 when we were all kind of holed up in our apartments or whatever. But the urge to ditch scrolling for IRL connection as the world becomes more digitally immersed. 
And I feel like in 2022 in particular, like a huge, huge part of the conversation was in one respects, I think how kind of like broken brain the internet has made, has made people. And this came to fruition through a series of think pieces. Like I know we've discussed um, Sam Chris's uh, the internet is already over piece. Uh, Ted Joya also wrote, has the internet reached peak clickability? Um, Kyle Chaka, the year of apps that I gave up on. Um, and I just feel like a lot of people started to form very, very strong opinions, I think, on the internet's effects on culture and our relationships, how we feel increasingly isolated and, you know, can't focus for more than five seconds. There was an article a while back that mentioned in the times that was like, here's how you can focus. Like it's 1990. And I'm like, <laughs> just so kind of scary in a sense. So I want to get both of your takes. I think something we wrote about was 2023 enters the age, enter the age of airplane mode, which is like our great log off moment and trying to log off, which I think people have done and maybe struggled with, but what do you guys think? Yeah, I think more than any other trend, this analog off is going to be the one that does bubble up into the mainstream this year in a big, big way. I think we kind of saw at the end of last year, like you mentioned, all those articles, things forming like the Luddite Club, where all of these teens get together in Prospect Park, yeah, phone they free. Hit their and elf just, bars. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and start, you know, hanging out, connecting in real life again. I do think that coinciding with mostly I imagine kind of young people trying to figure out how to live and interact with each other without technology and a blue screen between them and the person um, will be brands trying to commodify and react to this by coming up with apps that like help you log off or only give you the news in five minutes or less or you know like I think it's sort of this chicken and the egg thing where I'm not sure if this is true but like because of our waning attention spans TikTok was invented to deliver content or entertainment in 30 seconds or less and ended up being watched more than linear tv was so in a sense I think like coinciding with all of us trying increasingly to get offline and live that cottage core lifestyle um <laughs> brands will respond in kind by producing products and different ways that we can you know get offline more or open a book or whatever i agree with you trey i think it's gonna bubble up this year and i think i was also thinking just a lot about the boundaries that a analog off or a lack thereof allows us to have or not slight tangent but I've been watching West Wing recently and I was sort of it was this weird thing where I was watching it and like you know they don't have like they just got email it's like this whole big thing and this girl like isn't in the office and it's like this whole thing this guy's running around he's trying to find her and he can't find her and it turns out she was just like avoiding him for a plot reason I won't get into but it's crazy <laughs> because it's like if you didn't want to answer to a work situation you would just not have to like you couldn't you weren't slackable you weren't emailable you weren't textable you weren't callable um and just like how easy it was to get away from certain things and I think that 
to your point, Trey, also about brands, like it's not that easy to get away from a brand anymore. Like this one culty Gen Z brand who shall remain nameless, I have tried and failed to block them from sending text messages to me multiple times and I can't figure out how to turn it off. And I think it has actively turned me off of the brand because I'm like, this is so you know, invasive almost. And I feel like we were talking about this with push notifications for news as well. But just the fact that you're kind of being constantly reminded to engage with this brand or getting promos from the app constantly on your screen. And great, like we all love free food and discounts, but I don't really want to be interacting with your brand 30 times a day against my will. And I think mm -hmm. that there's a way that like <laughs> even beyond just thinking about a social presence, all of the quote unquote touch points that brands have created, people starting to either push back against that or maybe wanting for the brand messaging to happen in more consolidated moments. I'm just curious to see how that happens because I think just like on a more interpersonal level, I know a lot of people turning off their Instagram DM notifications or like their text notifications, like wanting to choose those things versus being sort of summoned to platforms in that way that messages and notifications do. Um, so yeah, food for thought on boundaries, but Eli, <laughs> oh, yeah. off to you <laughs> or Trey also. I was just going to say that I think nostalgia will continue to remain strong and in getting away from the online culture streams, I think that people will start to go back to radio, which I kind of see is really coming back in a big way, you know, mm -hmm. kind of sitting down listening to the radio program uh, that I think eventually the brands will follow. Notice that people are spending time with radio and start to advertise there more again. Uh, similarly, like libraries, I think libraries are going to become even cooler than they are now if they aren't already uh, with, you know, being like kind of the last third space you can go to without having to buy something. Um, especially as a place where it's like cell phone use is discouraged. You are surrounded by paper. Um, <laughs> you, know, you can sit uh, comfortably for hours at a time. So I kind of think that like people will kind of use nostalgia as a way in to rediscover things that, you know, do help you live like it's 1990 and Again, I think brands will kind of clue into that and follow if they are smart. You know, you work in marketing when like nostalgia, like going outside is billed as nostalgic. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It was like that tweet that was like this new, what's that new aesthetic? And it's like going outside. <laughs> going for a walk. <laughs> going for a walk. All right. Well, you know, we have there, I think we're five more new words to chat through alongside a couple other addendums we could do this all day um definitely read through the predictionary hit us up if you have any thoughts questions comments concerns hopefully none um eager to hear all of your feedback um subscribe to day one fm follow us on social yeah clara trey thanks for a great combo today Thanks so much and happy 2023. Happy, happy 2023. 2020. Oh, God. All right. <laughs> All right. All together now. <laughs>